You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Kicking off your week with everything you need to know about your Miami Heat. Later on in the show, I'll look into some proposed rule changes that could impact Miami in both a good and bad way. And I'll weigh in on the Udonis Haslam debate yet again. But this time, you'll be hearing directly from the OG himself in an exclusive one-on-one interview you won't hear anywhere else. But I'll start off with a report from ESPN's Ramona Shelburne and Adrian Wojnarowski that the NBA is investigating the sign-and-trade deal that brought Kyle Lowry to Miami. Lowry, officially a member of the Miami Heat as of Friday, for now at least, according to ESPN, one of the penalties could potentially be a voided trade. I'm not sure how that works out exactly, but according to Shelburne and Wojnarowski, it seems like the NBA is curious as to how the deal took place with Kyle Lowry so quickly, as it was reported right after the 6 p.m. Uh, Deadline to start having free agent conversations. Again, a ridiculous concept. Uh, here's what we know. <laughs> the deal with Lowry was announced at some point at six to, uh, following 6 o'clock this past Monday. We'd heard discussions from a few days before that, that Miami was a potential suitor for Lowry, and that a deal for Lowry could include Goran Dragic and Precious Achua and possibly a second-round pick or something along those lines. It wasn't sure exactly how much Lowry's contract would be worth and how much Miami would have to send in uh, commensurate value in order to match that salary, and so I think... There are a lot of there's a lot of speculation that a deal was in place because you know newsbreakers like Woj and Sham Sharani of the Athletic and others have to get that news out there as quickly as possible, and I guess the NBA really doesn't like losing face that way in the idea that they have this deadline as archaic and ridiculous as it might be, and that somehow teams are negotiating anyway that reporters are finding out about this before they're supposed to find out about it and it kind of just makes them look silly and then you get an organization very likely the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban and you get him to complain very very loudly about the fact that we couldn't get Kyle Lowry and next thing you know they're starting to whine and complain and well look I mean that's what happens when you clear all the salary cap space and you can't get the player you want you have no choice but to complain and cry to the NBA league office and see if maybe there may or may not have been tampering. Here's what we don't know. Not anything, really. We're not quite sure exactly what happens next, other than the investigation will be thorough. They'll look into private email, text messages between both the player, the agent, Pat Riley, and other members of the front office, potentially even other Heat teammates like Jimmy Butler and things of that sort. I don't know how much they could potentially find there. Like, I don't know what's incriminating or what or, or not. From what I can tell, it seems like Miami was able to at least contact the Toronto front office to determine the parameters of a deal. Not that they really would have had to do so, because perhaps Miami's greatest saving grace is the fact that they already tried to do this back in uh, March at the trade deadline last season. So they already had kind of an idea of what it would take or what Toronto might be interested in. It seems like it was kind of a little too perfect, I guess, in the fact that it was just Goron and just Precious and that Kyle wound up signing for exactly the right amount. 
I think I saw the actual contract totaling somewhere around $25 million and two. 25 and two dollars, like 25 million and two dollars. That seems kind of awfully specific, but it seems like if you have that kind of specific a number, maybe you have a pretty damn good idea of what it costs to, you know, get Kyle and, and what you have to send out in order to acquire him. And if that's the case, that probably pisses off the league. I, from my opinion, it's all ridiculous. It's stupid. I think there shouldn't be a deadline. Maybe I'd feel differently if uh, another team was taking advantage of but I really don't think so like I didn't care about how it played out last year with Milwaukee uh, I thought you know they should be able to negotiate whatever they want to with whatever player and what really ultimately cost the Bucks was the fact that Bogdan Bogdanovich had no intention of going to the Milwaukee Bucks perhaps he didn't see them as a legitimate title contender and he wanted to actually join the Atlanta Hawks which is exactly what he did and so it was a little different there. So I, what happens next, I there is very little that I can discern. I could guess just as well as anybody. My feeling is that the trade won't be voided. It's certainly a possibility, and I don't want to alarm anybody. I don't know exactly how that would play out because, well, hell, free agency is already almost over. Sure, there are lots of names out there, big names. Guys that are probably a little older or maybe uh, you know, not quite as competent as they thought themselves to be and not exactly uh, a lot of offers coming their way. And if that's the case, you know who knows what happens with those players. I don't think guys like J.J. Redick and Paul Millsap, I don't think they're likely to join the Miami Heat at this point, although I might be wrong. Either way, as far as you know, free agency is concerned, you can't just take everything back. You've had player introductions. You've had everything else. So the, tr- the void the, – I'm sorry. The deal – I can almost guess will not be voided. And if that's the case, eh, if Miami is found guilty, then they will have to probably lose some kind of compensation, uh, you know, draft picks, perhaps something monetarily. I don't know. Draft picks don't really hold much value for that front office. They don't have many to give up anyway. So it's kind of weird to imagine exactly what the penalty would be, what the right penalty would be. I'm sure the front office doesn't mind paying it. I'm sure they don't like getting screwed over and being targeted because the reality is, you know, we've seen reports that Russell Westbrook was having dinner with other players, and maybe that's different than tampering or necess- or any kind of whatever charges are being levied against the Miami Heat. But how can you, and this is a point I made on Twitter via over the weekend, and I'll make it on this show as well, how can you justify this? Like, it's ridiculous to, to assume that teams shouldn't talk to free agents until right at 6 o'clock. Especially when 29 other teams are lobbying for their services and have a certain amount of money and everything else. And what, is, what if it's that, it's that one team that cheats, right? And then all of a sudden you get screwed over. Do you Can, can you just say, oh, well, they cheated, so it's okay? I, I mean, the deadline wouldn't make any sense. You, you can't just expect a player to pack up their bags and move across the country or to have any kind of idea without some prior notification, some kind of contact and saying, you know what, we, we want you to be here on this team. And the player has to respond, yes, I have interest in being on this team or no, because otherwise, and you know, everything falls apart. I, I just, I don't get it. You know, you can try and make whatever moves you can and somehow you still have to wait for a particular player to agree to come to your team. It doesn't make much sense. And it feels strange that the league is not necessarily targeting Miami. And I, I won't make that case either. I know there are plenty of you who believe that, you know, Miami's unfairly being persecuted and things of that sort. Forget about that. Like, Milwaukee was unfairly persecuted last year. 
every team tampers to some degree, and it just feels very, very arbitrary for whenever my, you know, the NBA decides, oh, this is a team that went a little bit too far, uh, was particularly egregious. I, I don't know. Maybe it was Miami. I, I can't see anything about that. I think I think the, the problem was that New Orleans knew Lowry wasn't coming to them, and then they engaged in the sign-in trade to send Lonzo Ball to the Chicago Bulls exactly at 6 o'clock. Exactly at 6 o'clock. I don't know why they couldn't wait a damn hour to report it, or Shams, that is, why he couldn't wait a damn hour to report it. It seems so ridiculous because obviously New Orleans knew that Lowry wasn't coming here. And how could they have known that Lowry wasn't going to New Orleans because he was coming to Miami? And how did they know that? Because probably the the deal had been you know, finalized well before the actual 6 p.m. deadline. So thank you, David Griffin, for screwing everything up yet again. Thank you to the Chicago Bulls for screwing everything up and making everybody look stupid. They could have gone all the way with it. They could have gotten the players they want to. Now they're going to lose the picks that they probably have a lot more value in. Miami's going to lose something too, likely. I, I don't know exactly what it'll be. Hopefully no trade, no, no actual sign and trade will be voided. I, I don't know. It's just a ridiculous thing. I, I don't have much of an opinion on it other than I think it sucks, and I think it's stupid of the league to continue to do this on a regular basis, but what are you going to do? Them's the rules. They have this ridiculous, archaic deadline that they're sticking to, even though nobody actually sticks to it. So, you know, long live tampering. I hope everybody tampers the hell out of everything from now on. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll talk a little bit about some of the rule changes that are being proposed. And, of course, uh, my interview with Unanis Haslam will come up in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? I mean, the game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. Your name, your stakes, winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. Sign up for free. And right now, you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on and start winning today. So if it's not bad enough that Miami might potentially get penalized for a trade that's already been finalized, it looks like they're trying to make some changes at a league level that could potentially impact Miami. I I'm pretty certain that they will because they're already using these rule changes at Summer League. And that's usually the testing ground for these kinds of things. They have discussions with the league's competition committee. And then, of course, they work with the Referees Association to make sure that they can enforce these sorts of things. It's an inexact science. It will always be. But basically, they're trying to control... Especially after what we've just seen from the U.S. Olympic play. And I'll start off with saying also congratulations to Bam Adebayo on bringing home the gold. While his playoff, I'm sorry, while his playoff performance maybe wasn't always the best, uh, in in the Olympic play, I think he was sensational. Uh, A lot of people kind of undervalue what he does because he's not putting up a lot of points or he's not exactly scoring 20 points per game or anything like that. But I, I think his role was perfect, and that's exactly what... The U.S. needed in order to win. Uh, I, look, I made a case earlier this summer that I wasn't sure if they'd medal. 
they came out pretty good. They looked pretty dominant all throughout, and you know they had some tough competition there against Australia, Spain, and of course France. I would have been curious to see how it would have played out against a, a, a unique score like Luka Doncic, but the U.S. proved to be a better team. They had Kevin Durant. They had some really nice quality defense, and Bam was a big part of that. So congrats to him. But anyway, my point is that with the FIBA rule changes you know, being so different than when the NBA rules are, uh, they've basically looked to enforce the playing rules in a manner that reduces the incentive for offensive players to use non-basketball moves to draw fouls. So basically... You can't kick your leg out in a weird way like that. If you are going up for your normal jump shot and you come down and there's contact, you're going to pick up, you know, you're going to get fouled. You're going to get the foul call in your favor. Now, if you turn your hips in a certain way, if you stop a la Trey Young to draw contact in a way that's unexpected, if you move your body or kind of lean in towards a player like that and then you draw contact, you're not going to get the foul call. In fact, you will be called for an offensive foul. And that's not great. And great at the same time, because for one, I think it really helps. I'll give you the good news. How about that, right? Uh, the good news first is that Miami's defense, much improved defense in theory, because with Kyle Lowry, Markeith Morris, P.J. Tucker, and others, now all of a sudden you've got a much more improved defensive-minded unit. That's great. They're physical. They're going to have contact all the time. They want to be able to take advantage of those rule changes. They will. You can't just draw fouls. Duncan Robinson isn't going to get targeted for fouls the way he has been in the past. I think it will really help Miami's defense. And I think that's what they're going to be relying on, obviously. I think they're going to be looking to their defense to be what wins them games, what keeps them, you know, what keeps games close. And I think with their defense being as strong as it's theoretically potentially to be, then I think that certainly benefits them. Uh, they're going to be taking advantage of these rule changes. They're going to be allowed to be more physical. One of the things that a lot of people have said about Miami's defense is that they just they always make contact. They're always physical, and so because of that, they're less likely to get a foul call in their fi- against them. And I, I disagree with that kind of assessment to some degree. Uh, I, I don't really care to argue the semantics about when they get foul calls or not. I mean, Heat fans will argue that they get too many foul calls, and then 29 other teams say you don't get called for enough foul calls. So it's a little ridiculous. Uh, as I've said before on this podcast, officiating isn't something you can ever count on. And it's very, very rare that I think it's particularly egregious where, to the point where you say, oh, that referee has no idea what the hell they're doing and they've cost the Heat a game. Uh, that seems very, very, very difficult and unlikely because it usually balances out. Even in games like you saw during the playoffs, even in games where Miami wasn't necessarily getting the friendly whistle, they wound up leading in free throw attempts or something like that. So... I'm not too concerned about officiating overall, but when it comes to Miami's defense next year, I think they'll be able to take advantage of this because, you know, a lot of times it seems like they were getting foul calls because of this, you know, the way the the offenses have been allowed to just draw contact like that, to lean into you instead of just concentrating on playing defense at a high level, which is something Miami has always wanted to do. I mean, think about the number of times that Goran Dragic or, or, you know, Duncan or somebody else like that was just – standing in the way there, trying to do what they can defensively, and then all of a sudden a ball handler kind of just moves their arm in a, in a certain way. So I wonder how it's going to impact players like James Harden, you know, which certainly benefits Miami as well because he relies on scoring so much. But the counter to that is that, well, guess what? You've got two players on your starting lineup, three potentially, who rely on a lot of free throws in order to help them offensively. That's Lowry, that's Butler, and that's also Adebayo. Those three guys really... I mean, Bam is slowly improving in that regard. He got to the line a whole heck of a lot last year. You would think that 
given his connection with Lowry, which I think is going to be a huge improvement on what we've seen from him in the past. I think we'll start to see him probably draw more fouls, but I wonder whether or not the rule changes will limit some of those foul calls. Like I think with, in Bam's case, he rarely tries to flop or draw a foul or have any kind of a unusual, what is it, the term, non-basketball move in order to draw a foul. Lowry, however, not so much. Uh, I think that's the problem here is that, you know, Butler also similarly to Bam, it seems like he gets a lot of contact. He doesn't really lean into because he's just mostly going downhill, right? He's attacking the paint. He draws contact there where it's among the trees. And I think he's going to get a lot of contact. He's going to get the foul call in his favor or not. You know, we saw last year that he took certainly a lot less free throws than he had this season prior, his first one in Miami. But I think he'll probably wind up evening out to where he was last year. I, I shouldn't impact him all that much but Lowry however look you love Lowry when he's on your team Toronto Raptors fans certainly did but the reality is that he sells a lot of contact he does stop short he kind of falls all over himself and he does kick out that leg in order to draw the foul don't be surprised if his scoring takes a little bit of a hit if he's not able to get to the line seven or eight times per game and if that's the case then I hope that you know in May or whatever, or let's say midway through the season, Heat fans aren't complaining about a guy who's scoring only 14 points per game or something like that. You know, that maybe Goran would have been better. I'm pretty sure Goran's numbers are going to take a hit too because he certainly sold a lot of contact. You know, as an aside, I had this conversation with somebody who, you know, loves basketball, and they were telling me how they really, they they will miss Goran Dragic, that they won't appreciate Kyle Lowry as much because all Lowry does is sell contact and, and flop and things of that sort. And I told them, you know, I said, haven't you been watching Goran? They also, you know, he also does that. He also sells contact. He also gets foul calls in his favor. And they said, no, no, not to the same degree. And I said, what are you talking about? I talked to Goran. I know this for a fact. Goran tell, tell, has told me before that he sells contact. It's what he has to do in order to get to the line. I, I think it's pretty rampant around the NBA. I think everybody's pretty aware of that. So we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, it could be it could be a negative thing for Kyle and his overall numbers. I, I hope it's not held against him that, you know, the point of emphasis kind of takes away from it. I think once the playoffs roll around, uh, things will probably change to some degree and he'll wind up getting calls in his favor again. We'll see. We'll see. It always plays out a little strangely. And they always have these annual points of emphasis, as they call them, and they kind of change the way that they make these calls and Maybe it shakes out differently. Who knows? It's going to be interesting to watch nonetheless. But uh, one thing that's always interesting is the taste of Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. There's so many delicious flavors to choose from. You can mix and match your own box with two of each kind. Uh, you can get coconut or raspberry or double chocolate, salted caramel, my favorite. There's orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, so many. All of them, 100% covered in chocolate. All of them taste great, soft and easy to chew. You don't even know you're eating a protein bar, but you get all the benefits and nutrients from a protein bar. And that's why Built Bar is the right choice for you. So go right now to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15. You get 15% off your order, but only if you use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off and only at BuiltBar.com. If you want to place a wager on the next NBA season, then make sure you go to bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at bet online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info on your sporting needs. Before the next pitch, head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, contest information, and more. Don't sit on the sidelines. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for the runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. 
Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. Well, here we are, another offseason, and that means another debate on Udonis Haslam on whether or not there's value on him joining the team again. And this is a conversation that I had with UT. Uh, I spoke to you know some of the Heat media members, and they told me that uh, it was probably you know, they could arrange for an interview with UD. And so, and so I, I did talk to him last May. Uh, it was right before the playoff run began. And it was for a different topic. I did wind up asking him some questions about aging and everything else. And I wanted to ask him about his role specifically. And we did have a, a good conversation. We talked for about half an hour or so. And yeah, this is, I only wanted to include this because again, I, I, this was a one-on-one interview. I talked to him uh, by phone. And uh, I didn't necessarily want to, you know, give away too much of it, but I've seen the debate. I know everybody's interested in what happens with Udonis. And as far as the roster spot is concerned, uh, by now you've probably seen what happened. They added Omer Yurtsevern. Uh, they added a couple other players. On Friday, everything was made official. And then the debates began as to whether or not what limited cap space they have would be filled by Udonis Haslam. And, of course, that prompted the debate about whether or not Udonis should still be here, what's the purpose of him being here. And I give you the negative first, right? Uh, or, or the negative perspective. Uh, it's one that I don't exactly share, although I'm starting to see why it could rub some people the wrong way. Uh, the negative perspective is that, well, Udonis doesn't play, right? He just doesn't get any minutes out there. Why is he even out there? There's no potential to develop. There's no development whatsoever. You know, you look at a guy like Yurt7 and the fact that he could make an impact or, you know, uh, Max Struess or Gabe Vincent, you know, Precious last year, etc. You have young players, they're available. Why not give them minutes? Why take up that roster spot for a guy like Udonis? And I could see the concern there. I could see other people saying, well, you know, the counter to that argument is, well, he's there to represent the culture. And I've seen some people say, well, what's the point then? If the culture is already part of this team and it defines it so much, do you really need one person, a Udonis Haslam at age 41 to be the, the person who carries forth that culture? I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a very difficult and nuanced conversation. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. My feeling is that Udonis has done so much for this team that I can't I can't begrudge him wanting to play if he feels he can contribute. And part of my conversation with him is that he obviously feels he can contribute. That this isn't a matter of whether or not he can contribute. It's that he doesn't because he doesn't get playing time. This is a coaching decision. This is on Eric Spolstra and only on Eric Spolstra. This isn't about Udonis Haslam being able to play. It's that he just doesn't. And I'm not so sure about that. I can't argue that one way or the other. I can't call Eric up and say, hey, <laughs> UD says you're not playing him. Is it because he's old or is it because he sucks or is it because you just don't want to play him? So I don't know how this is going to play out. My feeling has all along been that I don't think 
he's coming back. I think he's seen enough. But now that the changes have taken place and you've got guys like Kyle, you've got guys like Jimmy, you've got guys like Bam and others, uh, maybe he wants to be a part of whatever they're building here. And this would certainly be a, a very tough locker room with a lot of strong personalities. It would be great to have a guy like UT. I don't know if he's as necessary as he has been in the past. As much as it would be nice to think of him being able to contribute, it's unlikely to, to you know that he's as necessary as he once was. Uh, I I don't think you know we've talked about this before on this podcast when you know Wes Goldberg and I have talked about UD and what he brings to the table and everything else. You can't just say, well, you're a coach. He doesn't want to be a fucking coach. He really doesn't. He has no interest in, in moving on. Not at this point in time. Not anytime soon. Maybe something in the front office, whatever. But he is not just a coach either. He's a guy who does talk. And that separation is something I don't get to in the interview. But there has to be that separation, right? Like, you know who your bosses are. The coaching staff is your bosses. And whether, you know, there's your big bosses, corporate, if you will, uh, up in the front office, Pat, Andy Ellisberg, Adam Simon, and anybody else, you know, coaching coaches like Eric Spolstra and, you know, even guys like Quinny and others that, that are in Spo's ear and say, oh, well, he's putting in the work or not, in Casey Opala's case, uh, you know, then, you know, they're the ones that control your minutes. They're the ones that control your livelihood in that case. Because if you don't get playing time, you don't put up stats. And if you don't put up stat- stats, you don't get paid. And that's a problem. Uh, conversely, what Udonis tells me, and he ha- he did tell me, is that he is a guy who helps those young guys because he does help develop them. Aside from the coaching staff and everything else, a guy like Udonis puts these young players through their paces, helps them understand what it takes to be a veteran, how to get paid. And that's a huge thing. I, I mean, and not just even the young guys, like veterans that could come through this system and learn a trick or two from a guy like Udonis. I mean, look, Jay Crowder did a phenomenal job while he was here. I don't know how much Udonis had to do with his growth or anything like that. Probably not much. But let's just say it's no coincidence that guys come in here, Hassan Whiteside, Deion Waiters, James Johnson, that they figure out that if they can establish themselves here, there's a good chance that they can get paid either here or elsewhere. And I think uh, we've seen that time and time again. Guys like Derek Jones Jr., uh, you know, this, the list is a very long one. And I think Udonis is certainly a part of that. As much as you want to credit, uh, you know, the the coaching staff for, and their you know ability to develop young players, you look at another team around the league that had a great deal of success mentoring players, Toronto, what was the difference there? Kyle Lowry. And if you heard my show from last week, you know that Kyle took great pride in being a mentor for those young players. So, again, this is just a few snippets here and there from a longer conversation. I've had to edit it out uh, because we did talk about things aside from what I just mentioned in this segment. But I did want you to hear from Udonis himself about how he feels he still has value, that he can still play. So here, without further ado, is my conversation from last May with Udonis Haslam. I always wonder about that because I get asked a lot about – you know, UD and what's his role on the team and, and things of that sort. It's like, well, first of all, he can play better than, I mean, a million other guys out there. That's why he's still it's in the crazy. league. People really think I can't play, bro. That's what kills me. Like, they really, really think I can't play. Like, trust me, regardless of the fact that I'm a leader now, trust me, the Miami Heat, if I was broke down and couldn't get up and down the court, they got a decision to make. Like, you know what I'm saying? They, got, they, they have to do what's best for their organization. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So if people like it's funny to me that people really believe that I can't play this game right now. Like, but nah, I think that's what's even, and I don't toot my own horn, but I think people 
don't understand that sort of sacrifice. They never can because they would never do it. Yeah. Minds can't go that that far into detail of how hard it is because it it wasn't easy for me at first. And sometimes it's still not easy, you know? And I think that's why I'm so passionate in pushing and fueling my guys because I know what should be done. And I know they can do it and I know I can do it. So if I can't do it, you damn well better do it. Right, right, right. I, I remember seeing you last year at Media Day and there you are climbing the backboard. I'm like, this this motherfucker can still hoop. He can still get up there. I mean, they have no fucking clue, bro. It's it's crazy, and, it, and it, sometimes it bothers me, man. It, 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 but you know, as I get older, you know, I focus on the things that I can't control. And um, you know, the bottom line is my role is now to mentor these guys. But I show these guys every day in practice, and that's why they that's another reason why they respect me because we I'm gonna go hard in practice. You know, every day for home games, me and Jimmy play one on one upstairs. Yeah, you know, and, and we go at, and he and I kick his ass, and he kicks my ass. You know what I'm saying? And I go at it with Bam, and we compete. So these guys respect me because also it's not just I'm talking that shit. They see me in practice, they know I can still do it. So once again, they understand the sacrifice. You know, OG sit over here every day. And he can still play, but he doesn't. He's the lead rebounder organization, and we suck in rebounding sometimes, but he doesn't complain about going out there. It's just a sacrifice that some people might not never understand, and, and that's fine. I don't have to explain it to him. Do you, do you ever feel like 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 you know complaining or asking for more time or something? Telling early school? on, early yeah. on, early on, I did. You know, but you know, it, it happens to guys in this league, man. You see, so many guys in this league don't understand the evolution of just you know getting a little older and you know your role getting smaller and you know getting phased out a little bit. You know, they can't find value and you know they end up either getting traded or out of the league. So you know, for me, instead of people criticizing, you just respect the fact that I can still play. I'm create. I'm doing. I'm making an ultimate sacrifice, but I found value. How many people found value in a situation where they're not actually on a basketball court, but they can still impact winning? Do you think there are less like vets on on a team per team basis? Because I've heard a lot of guys talking about that before, like that when they first entered the league, and these are like older vets. You know, when they first came in, like in the the mid aughts or something like that, it seemed like rosters by and large were older and had a couple of vets still hanging on there to provide that kind of mentorship. You look around the league nowadays, and it seems like the oldest guy on your team might be, you know, 29 or 30. That's not particularly old. Do you think that it's missing something like that or it's changed a lot in your time? Yeah, it's definitely missing, and and, it's, and I think the league needs it. You know, I think you look around this league and you see a lot of young talent that's misguided. You, know, you see a lot of these guys making mistakes off the basketball court. You see a lot of guys playing bad basketball on the court, and before you know it, they'll have 10, you know, 12 years in this league, and, right. you know, they never reach their full potential as a basketball player or even just have an opportunity to manifest into just being a champion in this league. And, um, you know, it's sometimes, a lot of times, it'd be just as simple as a guy like me that can help impact those guys. You know, it's a lot of guys that came through this organization that you know had rocky situations until they came here and i was able to just impact those guys when you talk about hassan whiteside yeah um you know was almost out of the league uh james johnson you right. know was it was shaky and then he left here with a 58 million dollar contract <laughs> you know Deion waiters was shaky he left here with a 60 million dollar contract um tyler johnson you know was shaky and he left here with a 50 million dollar contract you know these guys who were on the on the you know on the, on the shaky spot and when they came here you know what I'm saying? Take nothing away from what they did to put the work in, but it was me. It was me that held the standard. It was me that was on the ass, and it was me that they could relate to and they could understand and they could trust. And by them trusting me, they were rewarded, you know, with 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 the contracts that they got. You know what I'm saying? So I'm able to impact winning and impact these guys. And when these guys leave, they still text me. I still talk to all of these guys, man. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They still trust my opinion, you know what I'm saying, on what to do and, and how to move. What, what, why don't you talk about this more? Like, I mean, I know you don't really talk to media a lot except for a couple of weeks ago, but, like, I, I feel like I've covered this league for a while, I've covered this team for a while, and I've seen you a lot, and I just, I never really consider the fact that, you know, guys are getting paid because of your ass. You know, you talk to them and you coach them up, and it's like, that would be like, I mean, I would want a Udonis on every motherfucking team if I could get paid like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, why don't I ever I hear that kind of connection those, before? Those guys, those guys put the work in on the basketball court. I no take doubt. nothing away from that. But no it was never their talent that was questioning when they got here. You know, it was never their talent why they were almost out of the league. It was right. never those guys' talent. So they always had the talent. Um, it was just a guy like myself who come from the same place where they come from and said, listen, I came from where you came from and I made it. And this is how you can do it. And, and I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to tell you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You stick by me, and you do what I tell you to do, and you do it how I do it, and you'll be rewarded. And they work, and they listen. What What's the difference like? Because I know, again, I, I, I get this question a lot, and I always say, look, it's different to have a guy like Spo or the coaching staff, even if you're like a guy like Karan, who's a proven vet and everything like that, versus having a guy like UD who can get on your ass and show you what he does on the court. Is that What's what's that difference like for you to be on one side of the equation like that? As a player, as a player who can like still mentor, like the difference in mentoring between being a player mentor versus a coach mentor. Oh, because I get out there and I kick your ass on the court. <laughs> I'll show you. No, that's it. I'll be. I'll go out here. You want to have a shooting contest? I'll shoot your ass. You want to have? You want? You want? Whatever it is, like that's the difference. Like I compete with these guys. I'm not just gonna talk that shit. Right. You want to play one on one? I will bust your ass. Like it's just. You know what I'm saying? It's not just talk. And it's not coach speak. When you see me in practice taking charges, when you see me boxing out Bam and going to grab a rebound, you know, when you see me catch a lob, or when you see me pick, shoot a pick and roll jumper, and you're like, God damn, like he's still playing and moving and running and doing all that in forty. Like I, I got tri- make no mistake about it. I earn respect from these guys right. every day. When they look at me, all they say is like, How the hell? I don't know how you did it so long. I mean, they say it all the time. You know what I'm saying? So I earn, I earn my respect from these guys. These guys don't just come in here and give me respect early on. A lot of these guys don't much remember much of what I did, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think as older guys, the first thing we do is we want these young guys to come in here and respect us, but we don't give these young guys no respect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I earn, I earn my respect from these young guys. I earn it every day. Every day. Well, I hope that sheds some light on the situation here. I'm not sure how much clarity you get. I'm not sure how much clarity you can possibly get from this. You know, he is in a tough spot because he wants to play. He still can contribute. He doesn't bitch. He doesn't complain. He doesn't moan or whine about minutes. He's no Nemanja Bjelito, let's just say. And yet he's still part of this team and he still helps to find a lot of what this team is, not just the culture. I know that can be somewhat cliched, a, lot of, a, a good marketing tool, if nothing else. But he also helps keep people in line he helps people stay accountable and he also teaches them and works with them and he makes the effort he puts it out there the fact that his teammates don't begrudge his roster spot i think speaks volumes to me that guys like jimmy and bam and everybody else still go up against og in order to try and just test him a little bit and and see you know to just get that work in and that he's able to match them uh, i think speaks incredible volumes of what his his value is to this team uh, that he's still a good player and that he can still find ways to contribute on and off the court as well. So just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's show. But most of all, thanks to you. This is David Ramil signing off for now. <laughs>